everyone. Welcome to the True Path Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining in today. So today we are going to be in session nine and we are continuing our study in the book of Daniel. We'll be discussing chapter five today. Now, as you remember back from chapter four, King Nebuchadnezzar, because of his pride, was removed from the throne and stricken with a mental illness for seven years. And then he finally turned his eyes toward heaven and surrendered himself and accepted the Most High God as ruler of all things. And the moment he turned to God, he was healed, and he gave praise and honor and glory to the God of heaven. His kingdom was also restored to him, and more greatness came to him. Nebuchadnezzar ruled Babylon almost 43 years and died while still on the throne. Now, after Nebuchadnezzar's death, The kingdom of Babylon only lasted another 23 years, and five different kings ruled during that 23-year period. After Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon was marked by continual deterioration, intrigue, and murder. And it is this last king and the end of the Babylonian kingdom that we're going to be discussing today. So let's begin by reading chapter 5 of Daniel, verses 1 through 4. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, wives and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So King Belshazzar of Babylon, we was actually co-regent with his father Nabonidus. Nabonidus made his son Belshazzar co-regent while he tried to restore and expand the Babylonian religion and conduct military campaigns in Arabia. Now, historical records actually support the biblical account in many ways, because the Greek historian Xenophon described Belshazzar as immoral and godless. He also records that Belshazzar killed one of his nobles, because while they were out hunting, the nobleman killed the game before he did. He also had a nobleman killed because one of his concubines said he was handsome. History also tells us that King Belshazzar wasn't very wise. I mean, he assumed that Babylon could never be conquered because of the massive walls surrounding it, which incidentally were built by King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Belshazzar figured that whatever his predecessor had done, build these enormous walls, would save him. But that is not wisdom. I mean, a person can't depend on the actions of others, whether friends or family members, to save them. I mean, we're not Christians because our friends are, because our parents are, or because we go to church. God is a personal God and requires each individual to make his or her own decision to follow him. And not only was Babylon surrounded by two impenetrable walls, but the capital city of Babylon had accumulated enough supplies to last them 20 years Belshazzar thought he was completely untouchable, so he decides to have a party, a big party. 
even though Cyrus, the leader of the Medo-Persian army, is about to invade them and conquer them. Now, one scholar suggests that the king may be having this feast as some type of religious affair. Maybe he's worried that the gods are offended at him, so he's trying to placate them. And this could explain why he brings in the vessels from the temple of God and decides to drink from them while praising false gods. And it's really important that we comprehend the magnitude of the blasphemy that's taking place at this feast. I mean, these are the vessels from the temple of God, the place in which God says in 1 Kings 8.29, my name shall be there. And in 1 Kings 9.3, I have consecrated this temple by putting my name there. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And so they're drinking from these sacred materials of God and using them to praise idols. I mean, the sacrilege they're committing here is despicable. And so I wonder, I mean, can there be anything positive from this tragic scene? Well, yes, there can. Because with God, there is always something to redeem. God can always redeem, even when it appears hopeless. No one can bring hope to a hopeless situation like God. So what hope is there in this situation? Well, the fact that the temple articles that Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple in Jerusalem 65 years ago are still present, and they are still intact. This scene shows us that God has kept the articles from his house safe, even though they were in enemy hands in a foreign land for over 60 years. And we also know from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that the Jewish exiles, they're going to be allowed to return to Jerusalem and they're going to be able to return these vessels to a rebuilt temple. You may be feeling like you're living in a foreign country in the hands of the enemy. You may feel oppressed and surrounded by difficulty, but take heart because no matter what is going on around you, if you are God's child, he has your heart in safekeeping. His eyes and his heart will always be with you. He will hold you and preserve you no matter what you're facing. Now, clearly Belshazzar believes he is in total control of this situation. I mean, we are witnessing the height of arrogance here. He's basically thumbing his nose at God. You see, he's completely caught up in the situation. The drinking, the revelry, the pride, the sheer overindulgence. He's caught up in the moment, and he thinks he's invincible. But he is woefully mistaken. And if we allow ourselves to be caught up in the same type of situation, we can also expect nothing else but foolish behavior. I mean, they've sunk to praising the creation rather than the creator. And this blatant disregard for God will not be tolerated. In verses 5 through 9, it says, At that moment... The fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. The king shouted to bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans and diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me the interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. 
So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar, then king Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale, and the nobles were bewildered. So at that moment, verse 5 says, Judgment is both swift and certain. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature will reap destruction. So the writing appears on the plaster of the palace wall. Now in that day, typically on the walls of palaces are written the titles, the exploits, and the victories of the king. Some true, some not so that everyone can read and be continually reminded of the king's royal greatness. And now, on the wall where the king could read all the flattering tales of his own power and magnitude, are written the mysterious inscriptions of his own judgment. And this handwriting clearly shook Belshazzar out of his drunken debauchery. I mean, he is not just scared, he is terrified. There are some people today who live like this king and have believed the lies that at worst God is non-existent or at best he doesn't judge people. But one day they will come face to face with the king of kings and the Lord of lords and they will have to reckon with him and they will be afraid because only those who believe in God and his son Jesus as personal savior and Lord have no reason to fear. So this should challenge us to share what we know about Jesus so others won't suffer Belshazzar's fate. And notice how notice how God chooses to communicate with Belshazzar. I mean, not with thunder and lightning, not with a booming voice, but silently. And yet he is still shaken to the core. We may wonder sometimes why God speaks to us in that still, small voice. I mean, personally, I'd rather hear a thunderous, audible voice telling me which way to turn. But God, he chooses to speak to us in a way that will lead to a deeper trust in him. And if you think about it, I mean, it really doesn't take much effort to hear a loud, thunderous voice, does it? I mean, we can hear that while we're doing other things. But with a soft, quiet voice, we have to stop what we're doing and focus our attention on that voice. We may even have to position ourselves closer to the voice in order to hear it. God chooses to speak to people in a variety of ways. With Nebuchadnezzar, it was through dreams. And here, it's through the writing on a wall. And once again, we see a king summoning his wise men to give an interpretation. But they're not able to do it because the writing of God can only be spiritually discerned by someone of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So while everyone at the feast is raising this huge commotion, the queen enters the banquet hall. And in verses 10 through 12, she says, Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. 
In the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence, the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. Now, scholars suggest that the queen is most likely the queen mother, because verse 3 says that the king's wives were already at the party. Now, clearly, Daniel, he's no longer in the king's service, like he was with Nebuchadnezzar, because the queen has to remind the king who Daniel is. Scholars also suggest that maybe she remembered Daniel because she was Belshazzar's grandmother, Ada Guppy, who helped Nabonidus and Belshazzar's rise to power and was alive during Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now, although Daniel has been forgotten by the king of Babylon, he has not been forgotten by God. No matter what our position in life, whether lofty or lowly, God has a plan and a purpose for us, and he has not forgotten you. And in verses 13 through 17, Belshazzar brings Daniel in, and he tells him that he's heard that he has the spirit of the holy gods in him, and that he has intelligence and extraordinary wisdom. And he promises Daniel the third highest position in the kingdom if he can read and interpret the inscription. Now, Daniel responds by telling the king that, yeah, he'll read and interpret the inscription, but he can keep the gifts and rewards to himself. Now, before Daniel gives the interpretation, though, he proceeds to give Belshazzar a history lesson in verses 18 through 21, a lesson that he should have already known. Daniel recounts how his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, had power and majesty given to him by God. Yet when he became arrogant and filled with pride, Nebuchadnezzar was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. His mind became like that of an animal. He was isolated from people and even lived like an animal until he looked to heaven and acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over human kingdoms. And in verses 22 through 24, Daniel says, But you, his successor Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand, who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. So it looks like Belshazzar is having the same trouble Nebuchadnezzar did coming to terms with God's sovereignty. I mean, you can almost hear the frustration in Daniel's voice when he says, but you have not glorified God. Belshazzar should have known better. There's something especially tragic about those who have been exposed to the light and truth of God and yet still refuse him. Belshazzar refused to accept God, the one who controls the whole course of his life. There are many people in the world today who live and believe like Belshazzar. 
They feel that their lives are their own. They are the masters of their fate, and they can and should be able to live their lives however they want. Do whatever makes you happy. But believing that there is no God who will one day judge doesn't make it true. Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know the Lord, that a person's way of life is not his own. No one who walks determines his own steps. So it is God who holds the destinies of human beings in his hands. And as I said earlier, those who don't acknowledge him will be judged accordingly. Now, notice the distinction that Daniel's making here. I mean, Belshazzar is choosing to worship things which can't do anything. They can't hear, see, or understand, rather than the God who holds his very life in his hands, the God who does see, hear, and understand. And so in verses 25 through 28, we read the inscription. It says, this is the writing that was inscribed, Mini, Mini, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mini means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found efficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So the words mean in the inscription, numbered, weighed, and divided. Proverbs 21.2 says, All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. You see, Belshazzar's moral and spiritual character did not measure up to God's standard of righteousness. And see, I believe that we can see glimpses of the gospel here because none of us can measure up to God's standard of righteousness. His standard is perfection. But God in his mercy gives us a chance for redemption in that he sent his son Jesus to be our substitute. He measured up where we couldn't. He took our sin upon himself and died so that when we place our faith and trust in him, we might live. But in Belshazzar's case, he refuses to accept the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, proclaiming the mighty and eternal kingdom of the Most High God. And instead, he exalts himself against God. And so he is therefore condemned. His kingdom will be given over, meaning God is the one with ultimate power here. He is the one controlling events. God is going to give his kingdom to the Medes and Persians. Now, after hearing the inscription in verses 29 and 30, Belshazzar gives Daniel the reward he promised. Daniel is clothed in purple and made the third ruler of the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar was killed and Babylon was taken over by by Darius the Mede. Historians say that the Medes and Persians sacked Babylon by digging canals, diverting the Euphrates River that ran through Babylon. And so they were able to march right into Babylon on the dry riverbed and conquer it. Historical records also coincide with the biblical account that Babylon was defeated with relative ease during a time of revelry. So thus we have the end of the Babylonian empire. And it's a sad end to be sure. I mean, if Belshazzar had paid closer attention to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony and surrendered his life to God, things might've been different. He had been given a certain number of days in which to live, and he squandered them. 
All of our days are numbered as well. We only have a short time on planet Earth. Let's not squander the time we have. So our challenge is to seek God and His direction on how we should live, how we should handle the time we have left, so that when we stand before God, we can hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.